1: plushcare.com slash weight loss
2: A decent point for Sunderland this weekend as we drew 1-1 with Luton Town away from home uh, I'm Conor Bromley and I'm today joined in the studio by two men who are qualified to comment on the weekend's game in Gav and Gav was not there was No I was, I was in a field in the lakes watching it on a laptop Fair Oh well, it's more still
0: good.
2: got to say it though. Fair enough. Uh, James Nichols, you were at the game yesterday and you were sat with the, the lads' fans. How are you doing?
3: Great, I'm good today. A little bit hungover again as usual, but the better we're, more more undefeated we are, the more that I can be happy to sit in the podcast on Sunday. Ill, but happy.
2: <laughs> we are also joined in the studio by special guest and Sunderland Echo writer, Phil Smith. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Nice, nice to be here.
1: Making your debut? Indeed, yeah. Is this good. your
2: podcast debut? Have you been on any of this?
1: No, I've been on. I've been on some other Sunderland fan podcasts. Um, <laughs> this is this is my debut on this particular one. So exciting times! Good and I've
2: already spoken to you. How was
1: you? Uh,
2: a bit like James, I'm a bit hungover.
0: Going over as well. Well, you three days in the lakes again? with
2: your mates. You're not going to not drink, are you? Oh, I thought you took your last. I thought it was a romantic. No, it wasn't one of them. No, no. it wasn't a romantic getaway. We,
0: we just Googled campsites which allowed groups on. There was like two in the whole country. This was one of them. Fair. <laughs> so...
2: <laughs> you did quite well
0: to
1: get a connection to watch the game in the ah, lakes. I'm quite i quite Tell that off my
0: phone. I'm quite techy, you
1: know.
0: Tell it off my phone. We well, we'll watched the Newcastle game first. The mags were thoroughly depressed at that. And then tuned in for the lads. Actually, no, sorry. I wasn't in the lakes. I was in. Um, I was in Alaska.
2: Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, you were. You were in Alaska yeah. watching? Yeah, I game. was in
0: Alaska watching. it. Sorry. For VPN Alaska. purposes, I was out <laughs> of <held> the country. <laughs>
2: uh, before we get properly going on today's podcast, uh, I just want to ask Phil: Do you want to inform the audience of who you are if they don't know?
1: Um. Yeah. I'm. I basically head up the, the Sunderland that football coverage, press conferences, home away, all that kind of stuff. Um. So, Sunderland fan from. Very early age, I had a season ticket for about 10 years before I went off to uni up in Edinburgh um, and then I covered Cardiff for a year or so before coming back about halfway through our last season in the Premier League so I left Cardiff just as they were on the rise under Neil Warnock and then came up to Sunderland just as they were about to go <laughs> on a on a spectacular collapse. so I've kind of yeah made some interesting career choices but yeah, writing about writing about Sunderland so I can't complain too much, especially not at the moment to be
2: in fair. In Edinburgh, who was your team, Hearts or Hibs? Hearts.
1: Yeah, I lived, I lived with a few, um, few heart sporting friends. So, um, actually, I used to go to quite a few hearts games. And those were the days where you had Kevin Carr and Stephen Elliott up front for hearts and Roy O'Donovan up front for hips. So, yeah, that was <laughs> quite. Kevin Carr was actually a very popular at hearts. So, I used to have the kind of odd sensation of walking up to hearts games and everyone would be stood outside the pub with Kyle Nine on their back. <laughs> and I used just have <laughs> <laughs> Having watched him at Sunderland, that was just a surreal sensation. But uh, yeah, they, they, they loved him up there
2: section one, uh, we're going to talk about the game. I'll, I'll explain the sections now, actually. So we're going to talk the game, and then we're going to have a specific section on league Caramel. Oh. It was a big talking point this weekend. and it was uh, indeed, yes. I thought he deserves a, a section. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the transfer window and if we need anybody else and the business so far, and then have a few final questions at the end. So the game itself, uh, a good starting point. Call me Al asks... New listening to the podcast, didn't see the game, but can you give us a good overview of the formation, line-up, tactics, and any changes from the first game, please? I'm sure that's what you do as
1: standard, but just checking. So, Phil, do you want to take off? How do we line up? What was the... Well, it was it was in terms of the the system and the formation, it was very similar to how they started against Charlton. They reverted to a, to a back four, but I suppose the big difference was that Max Power came in and played as sort of the, the deepest line midfielder. Probably the role I would expect Dylan McGeehock to play when he comes back into the mm. team. Um, I think ideally you want Max Power to play a little bit further forward. Um, and The other big change was that um, Jack Baldwin came in for Ali Moztek which made a big difference to the team because what we immediately saw from Jack was, one, he's quite calm on the ball, and two, he's not rapid, but he's quick enough. And I think that made a big difference to the balance of the team and it made a massive difference to Glenn Leuvens, who... Charlton looked ropey looked a little nervous looked a little bit uncomfortable yesterday he looked absolutely tremendous I thought yeah. he was just so strong so solid decision making was excellent um, so that was that was those were the two big positives I think Um, the, it was pretty, very similar to what we've seen from Jack all the way through I didn't think it was any different because it was an away game necessarily they still tried to do the right things but I think having Glenn, Jack and Max just allowed them to be a little bit more solid than I think what we saw against Charlton especially in the first half James do you think that uh,
2: it's going to be Louvens and Baldwin for the rest of the year if they're both fit hopefully
1: that's the idea they want to settle
3: defence and they, they look really strong together they kind of complement each other quite nicely as well Leuvens himself is a leader I got that really strongly from the weekend like I was quite quite close to the our goal at one point because like Luton there's literally like a foot gap in between the back of the net and the front of the stand so I'm like 10 rows back and you could visibly hear like Visibly? Visibly. visibly <laughs> audibly. Audibly. Yeah. Leuven's like shouting at everyone all the time for like, the full matching. Even like the moment that the corner's given, he's like telling people who to mark, where to go. From like as soon as the ball's cleared or whatever, he's like, push out, push out. You can like really la- easily hear him. It's kind of, it's a bit, he's not captain, but if you look in rugby, like you've got a captain and then you've got in your, in your forwards, you've got a pack leader, they're known as. That's kind of what Leuven's is for Sunderland. He's not what captain, but he's very much the leader at the back. And Baldwin alongside him, I think Baldwin, he had less to worry about than he did with Oz Turk, so he could focus on his own job. I didn't, I didn't that was that impressive against Charlton in the first half, but he grew into the game in the start of the in the start of the first half against Charlton. He it looked like he was covering a lot for Oz Turk, like he was, his mind was not just on his game but on someone else's game alongside him. Baldwin came in, slotted perfectly alongside him, and I'm actually I was such impressed by how clever Baldwin was as well. His positioning, his anticipation, his reading of the game was just miles better than Oz Turk's. It was really like breath of fresh air. And you can tell, i We've obviously we've heard like mixed opinions, and Peter fans like some really didn't like him, others thought he was absolutely brilliant. On the sign of the day, he was really solid. Today, yesterday.
0: because <laughs> <It feels like laughs> he's not been in bed thing. yet.
3: I had a few hours. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get the train down? Did you? I trained there and back. So any trouble? No, it was fine. Actually, it was great. It wasn't at Leeds. No, because yeah, you... uh, Luton fans were all sound. Actually, really he?
0: Did you enter through the? Through the housing estate. Uh, I
3: went through someone's back backyard yeah. and garden and all that. It was weird, that. It's probably weird. And then afterwards, it was like, the the, the police were like, ah, oh, everyone go to the station, get on these buses. So they put like four or five free buses on for the Southern fans. Don't know why. I mean, maybe they were expecting trouble or what, I don't know. But, um, <laughs> we are on these buses for like half an hour. Ridiculous traffic. Like, it was, we might as well just walk so halfway halfway there. <laughs> every single Sullen fan and the buses just kind of got the idea of like, we're sick of sitting on here. So you just seen like the three or four of them, like the back door just open as the buses are driving along, and people just like hopping out all the way along. <laughs> like, and then the police like shit themselves, they didn't know what to do. So it ended up just being like a derby day like escort sort of thing. It was weird. It's like, <laughs> like all these people just walking through, just like fuck the buses, we're leaving them.
2: <laughs> Phil, how how did you get there? Were you in the
1: the press box? Obviously, did you? We we drove down. To be fair, there and back in the day, which was pretty brutal. So I mm. left it about. We left about half seven yesterday and got back at about quarter to midnight. But um, yeah, it was. Um, I think everybody's kind of enjoying going to these kind of kind of grounds. Oh yeah. I, I always I always love the grounds, and we talked about Hearts before, and Tyne Castle and Easter Road up there are the, are the best for it, where you kind of just walking through the streets, and all of a sudden the grounds just there, and all of a sudden you can hear it and you yeah. can smell it. And I think, especially you know, the Premier League's the Premier League's great because of the quality of opposition and what have you. And that kind of negates from all these really soulless ball grounds. Yeah, definitely. But when you're in the championship and actually the quality of the football is not that good and the standard of the football is not that good and you're just dredging into places like Reading where it's like a, almost like a Lego stadium there's no atmosphere, <laughs> it's, it really does grind you down. It, it's it's all the same and it's all... Yeah, it does. so it So I think it's a lot easier in the summer when it's warm, but at, at the moment it's quite nice to, to go to these grounds that have their own... Their own character, their own quirks. Um, so no, it, it was good, and the, the Sunderland fans, I thought, were, were fantastic. Particularly because in the first half, this, they were really patient. Um, Luton came out, promoted last year, real momentum, um, and they were good in the first half. Then they caused Sunderland a few problems, but I thought the team and the and the support were were, were patient, and it, it was re- really encouraging. Let's talk a little bit about the the opening goal
2: for Sunderland. So. Gav, do you want to take this one? Are we impressed? I mean, you've been a bit of a... Not a critic of Madger, but you've been more on the... Madger maybe isn't good enough. But I'm, I'm you, more on the fence with him,
0: yeah. But, I mean, to to, to his credit, he scored re- two really good goals so far this season. Um, I just worry about him as a lone striker. I think he is improving. You can see with confidence he's getting better. I just think... It's, it's like a ticking time bomb with me. I don't know. I've, I just think... I think once Wykes fit these places in the team is is under question, isn't it? Yeah. Um, if- and I, I, what I do wonder, since we're, obviously we're all well in the knowledge that he wants another striker, at least one, maybe two, before the loan window ends, and I'm sure we'll get into that later. But knowing that, how many players does he want to play up front? We've got more coming back. Sinclair's injured, but he'll be back within a month or so. Are we gonna try and change things around? Because I mean, it's a lot of strikers to have with only one up front, and I wonder whether Mager's form figures into that. You know,
3: yeah. Well, that mirrors in the tactics from yesterday. Like we played four three three, like four to three one, as we always do. But it was, it was kind of not in a, on the ball. Like Maguire was very central and very pushed for pushed mm. very high. He was almost playing as a striker at times,
1: Chris McGuire. You really realised that Mager needs support up there. Yeah, I, I think the thing about the thing about Mager is it's it kind of goes back to. It it depends how you play because for me, Major almost had two performances yesterday. There was the one performance where he's got his back to goal and he's trying to deal with a long ball. Yeah, I don't know. And with the that. greatest respect, he's he's hopeless at that. Yeah, and definitely. against these guys he hasn't got a prayer. When the ball's in at his feet, he's actually at another level at least defenders. I mean, yeah. if you, if you watch that first goal back, it's absolutely brilliant what he does. He sits on the shoulder, so the centre half drops in. And then he comes forward again, so the defender has to move, and then he goes. And if you watch the defender, he's just left stood there. Yeah, the movement's as good as the finish. His his intelligence is so good, and actually with the ball at his feet, the way he brings Gucci and Maguire into play is tremendous, but you've got to play to that, and there's no point lumping long balls at him. There's no point trying to use him as an out ball like that, because he can't do it, Mm -hmm. which is hopefully where, when White comes in, you've got those two options. Mm -hmm. And yesterday was definitely a day where you're looking at thinking, oh, you'd love Charlie White. Yeah. Just in those in those periods of the game where they were a little bit penned in, just someone who can make the ball stick. But I think Magic to me deserves his opportunity and it's and it's an interesting question. I know we're gonna go on the transfer window in a little bit, but would you want to bring in someone else's prospect and develop them at the expense of magic No. You know, I think it's I think it's a really interesting question. We talk about players like James Wilson. Do you want to develop someone else's player and put magic on the bench? I think I think he's earning the right to be considered as one of your three three main strikers, especially once Sinclair's fit. So it's an it's an interesting one balance out because I I don't think you want to stunt his development and play somebody else's player. Yeah. But one
0: one one other thing as well I would point out is that at youth level, like before he broke into the twenty-threes, major played a lot off the left. So he didn't always play as this is the main striker. A lot of the time it was Nelson up front, Asoro one side and Major on the left hand side. And he actually played quite a bit as a number
3: ten as well. That would mind him in his ten. Yeah,
0: so I mean, it could well be that he that he doesn't play right up top, but maybe more in that in that Maguire role off the left, or even if Guccia's isn't involved, maybe play him off the right hand side. Um, it I think you can you can be you can be a bit more fluid with the players that we've got. That that's going to be the good thing going forward. Not just with Maggio, we're going to have options. Um, and. It's it's a shame we haven't got all these players available now. You know, we are picked up four points with,
1: what, nine injuries? Yeah, and that's kind of the point I was making. If if you had everyone available now, would we be looking at it saying, you've got to go out and get a young, lone striker in? I'm not sure you necessarily would. I think if you yeah. had everybody... I understand injuries happen, and that's why you've got to have a squad. But it's interesting, you know, I I, I don't necessarily see this urgent need to bring in a young striker who might not be particularly proven. Um, I think if you had Sinclair and White fit with Madger as well, with that flexibility we've talked about, I think I think you're fairly well stocked, especially w- once you bring Wabble. Wattmore into the equation. Wabble, yeah. you know, he's somebody else who, as you said, he can play through the middle, no problem. He can play off the right. So I think it's it's, it's quite exciting in that sense. And in, in a way, I'm glad Madger's had this opportunity because he was really unfortunate last year. He would have started the season, there's no doubt about it, yeah. before he got that knee injury. Yeah. And it was hard for him to come back. And I remember Chris Coleman saying, he needs a pre-season because he lost that half of pre-season mm-hmm. and he was coming back in the team and he just it was hard for him so I'm really glad actually the way things have worked out he's had an opportunity because you've seen already at St Mirren against Charlton he catches goalkeepers off off guard his, his finishing is so instinctive we've seen him when he takes that shot so early and the goalkeeper doesn't expect it I think he's a really exciting talent Um, yeah. I, I've got massive hopes for him and I think yeah, it's, it's a hard, hard ask for him to play up front on his own in a game like that. But at the end of the day, he, he still found a way to get his goal, which is very exciting. The,
2: the thing that excites me about Madge is the fact that he, he has the things that are harder to train already. He's got that touch. He's brilliant with the ball under his head. Like anywhere chess low, he'll control it and he will beat the defender. And as you say, his instinctive finishing, they're the things that you can't actually train. And with time, with games, with, you know, being in and around the squad, he should hopefully improving to being a player capable of leading the line eventually.
1: And, he, and he's yeah. smart because when other players were looking for a move, he, he saw stayed. an opportunity. Yeah. He looked at it and thought, actually, hang on. Sunderland don't have any strikers. There's a chance for me here to start pre-season yeah. and take an opportunity. And I think if you ask people at Sunderland, that's one of the one things they'll tell you about Madger is that, yeah, he's got all the talent. Technically, he's great. He's been at Man City, no problem. But he's, here. he's a smart kid and he's got a very good temperament and he's grounded as well. That's the kind of player you want to be developing. I think so. He's just, yeah, he's just got a lot to learn, but he's a, he's a really really exciting yeah. talent. Like it, it, I don't like comparing
3: him to Asoro because they're completely different players, but it, it kind of sometimes got to because they both broke through the youth team at the same time, both broke through the first team at the same time. And if you look, like Asoro's obviously went in the summer now. Mahesh is more intelligent for staying because I think Mahesh is going to basically start more than Asoro's going to. He's going to, he's going to develop more as a player this season than Asoro will. But I think Mahesh is just more intelligent on the pitch as well. I think over the last four or five years, he's the most intelligent prospect we've brought through in terms of like his ability on the ball and his ability to read the game. His reading the game is fantastic for lads lad when he what, just turned 90 in this year. Now That's mm-hmm. Bally Mumba, similar as well. The intelligence that those two have got, like not just their ability on the ball, but the intelligence, the mindfulness of being on the pitch, their awareness, is really what sets them apart from a lot of prospects in recent years. Talk a little bit about Bally Mumba. He, he
2: maybe not as impressive yesterday, although I don't want to say that as a Mate, negative He
3: still played well I mean Luton are a very League 1 team Like they, they, they were too good for League 2 last season they showed yesterday just how good they can be but they kind of just shithouse the way they result at times like, they were very solid defensively they didn't have too much to do in, in, like, they didn't really trouble Luvins and Baldwin that much as opposed to like getting him behind like Charlton did but they did power out, try and outpower us a lot James Collins and Hilton up top two big lads and they tried to just put pressure onto us and the midfield was very similar I think it was uh, Pelly Ruddick they basically controlled the game. Him and uh, and Lee
1: alongside him were excellent. I, I thought the big difference between Sunderland and Luton yesterday yeah, was Luton's sort of continuity. You could tell. So they played that kind of diamond system, which you don't see very often. Yeah. But it, what really struck me was how well the midfielders understood it, how well they understood when one person went the other, had to stay. Mm. That rotation was really, really good. Sunderland don't have that for obvious reasons. Max Power had had one training session yeah. before he played yesterday. So I thought Luton were able to control periods of the game because just they had that understanding of each other's games, and that's something that's just going to take time with mm-hmm. someone. I thought Barley did fine. He didn't. To me, he didn't yeah, look did like well. he didn't look like a sixteen-year-old out of his depth or struggling physically. I just thought he had maybe a slightly quieter game, but I tell you what, he didn't misplace a pass for fifty minutes either. Mm. Um, he, you know, he, he's in there on he's in there on merit, which is just incredible, really. Yeah.
3: Um, like I can see why Ross made the sub he did, by taking number off and taking Katz on with about half an hour left. Like. Mumbo was kind of dominated out of the game by their midfields, be it physically or not. But And I can see why you wanted to just try and shore things up with Catamull. I'm just not quite sure if it was the right person to bring on or if he even never brought him on on all, if McGeek was fit. Well,
2: we'll and Robson. leave, we'll leave Catamull. There is a section for Catamull,
3: so I don't want to talk too much about <laughs> yeah. him.
2: But I do want to talk a little bit about Max Power. I mean, lots of fans might not have seen the game yesterday, so... I don't oh, know. it's good. Yeah? yeah,
3: he's really good. I, I prefer him. I, I agree with uh, Phil. I think he's, he'd be better further up the pitch and performing a, a role higher up the pitch but Ross has obviously realised that we missed that against Charlie. we missed that ball winning midfielder we didn't really think there was quite a few times where Lyle Taylor and uh, Carl and Grant were either one was pushing on very deep uh, one was pushing on very far and the other one kept coming deep to the ball so we were vertically splitting we centre backs a lot and that's why Louvens and Nostok were caught up positionally so often because they didn't really know what to do they never really played together very often with that verticality obviously uh, and Grant dropped deep quite a lot like he did for the Run up to the penalty, uh, and there was just nobody really screening the defence. Power's is a proper central midfielder. He's not just like a a ball winner. He's he's I kind of explained I described him as a jack of all trades, but master of none. He he just followed the ball around and just kind of played that little quarterback role, just just passing it off and continuing. Now I prefer McGee in that role, and I think he will play that role, and Power will step on to a higher position in the pitch. But in his debut, I thought he was really impressive.
1: Phil, what do you think? Yeah, I would say the same thing. He was. He was parachuted in and asked to do a job that's not natural to him. He's there's no way he's a defensive midfielder. Yeah. Um, he's he's got a lot of ng's. Likes to make a contribution in the final third, but it was needs must, and he's straight into the team. And inside the first ten minutes, he's directing. He's telling Barley Mumba where he wants him. He's telling Honeyman where he wants him. He's telling the fullbacks where he wants him. And I just think that's a big tick in the box for me that you've got someone coming to the team. He's had one training session. Managers looked at him and thought, "Yeah, I'm just going to throw him straight in," yeah. and he's just gone in there, and he's he's not looked like someone who's just been thrown in. Um, like I say, I, I definitely think he's someone who'll play further up once McGeoch comes in. But then you'll you'll then have a midfield three potentially of McGeoch, Power, and Honeyman with Barley Mumber and Ethan Robson sort of challenging for for a spot, and that that looks really really strong to yeah, me.
0: And Onion as well. I know, yeah. yeah,
1: absolutely. I've completely forgotten about, <clears> him <throat> and, and that's actually a big positive as well because you can give someone like. O'Neill the chance to develop and the chance to get his feet under the table and the chance to learn about the manager because I think that's been the big thing with him I think Wickham's style of play is obviously very 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 different and I think Jack Ross has probably been a little bit surprised by how different what O'Neill is used to in terms of training and tactics, mm. I think it's been there's been a little bit of a wall. Wo- we're quite a way apart in how we're used to doing things but having Max Power now just gives you a little bit of time for O'Neill to get settled and then hopefully we'll see what he's good at which is getting about the pitch and and breaking up play so it, that, that's a really that to me looks an unbelievably strong area of the pitch now uh,
2: yeah, it does another player I wanted to discuss was Oviedo he impressed everyone when he came on on the opening day was he as impressive yesterday Um,
0: I wouldn't say he, well no because he, the impact he had in the game last week was a match winning performance really where I think he kind of just sat in there and, and did a job this week nothing too spectacular Um, but then again it was a different type of game wasn't it it wasn't it was last week he came on, played wing back when we really needed to get back in the game. Um and we did. This week it was a little bit more different because of the way Luton play mainly. Um I, what what I'd be interested to see now I'm I'm not convinced that he will leave. Um I just struggle with the idea of anyone paying his wages. Um maybe he leaves in a similar sort of circumstances as Coney. Where he has to forego some of those, wages just to leave. But I don't know. I don't know whether he will. Um, and what I'm interested in saying is, when Reece James is fit, who we then, who we then go with really? Once James is is fit, you know, maybe gets a couple of sub appearances under his belt, maybe a couple under twenty threes games. Who is then the first choice left back? Because it must be difficult for Ross that. And you probably can see that Oviedo is a good guy and he's on a lot of money, but he must struggle with. Morally, who he plays, whether he
1: plays them. Same probably with all as well. It's, it's a massive issue. I mean, you know, so, sometimes you make the mistake of treating football different to just normal life. But if you imagine in your office or wherever you work, there's a guy doing the same job as you who's maybe a little bit better than you. We're not loads better than you on 10 times the money. I mean, you'd be, you'd be fested. It would drive you up the wall. Hmm. It would be horrendous. And football is a bit different to other areas of life. But in a lot of ways, it's not. And that is a, a massive challenge. And it's a massive test of Jack Ross's man management skills. I mean, in terms of yesterday, Oviedo and Adam Matthews on the other flank just had to park the best side of their game. They couldn't get forward. Yeah. They couldn't leave space. There was two big centre-forwards. They had to stay tight to the centre-backs. So it wasn't a game where they really were able to show, to show what they were made of. But actually, in a way... That's credit to Oviedo that he did knuckle in and actually he didn't go missing. He didn't get stuck up the pitch like you used to see with Van Arnholt. He was quite disciplined and I suppose that's kind of, well, that's what he should do. He gets paid enough for it. But even so, it's not always the case.
3: Like yesterday was very attritional, the game. Like, I think that's how Luton are going to play. I think they're going to force... Uh, it's not nice to say about Luton, it's a bit arrogant, but they're going to force teams to play in their style. So we try to pass it around them a lot. We try to play inside and they kind of like forced us to... To just like go up against them because the way they are, because they're so solid and they're so powerful, and it's it's nice to see Oviedo kind of adapt to League One football like that. You might think that he doesn't want to get his roll like ro- uh, roll his sleeves up and get mucked in, but he wasn't as if influential going forward. But there's no complaints about his performance whatsoever. He was just really solid. Um. And with James as well, I'm worried about Rhys James. He's played 45 minutes at Darlington, and he's crocked ever since, and he's he's con- he's been injury prone for a few years at Wigan as well we've got nine injuries right now and a lot of them don't worry myself like McGeady's is literally a freak accident while on holiday McGeeX is because of the state of the pitch and the conditions at Middlesbrough like that's, that's not big like, there's not like big niggles that I'm too worried about apart from Reese James that he only played 45 minutes at Darlow and he's not he's not been seen since he's back in training now but say if Oviedo does go we we'll probably I think we might have to bring two left backs in if his injuries uh, problems do continue
2: uh, another couple of players I just want to bring up before we move on to Catamore. Uh, Lyndon Gooch, good assist again yesterday. we Are thinking he's going to be the, the diamond for this year? Uh,
1: abso- yeah, absolutely. He's, ever since he came back into that team towards the back in the last season on the right wing, he just looks like a completely different player. I mean, we've always kind of seen him as a, a number 10 kind of player. He's on the wing. He's, he's just got the fullback on toast every time. Um, he, he looks like he could be Sunderland's best player this year in a lot of ways very difficult to defend against he's strong quick um, and that pass on his wrong foot is just for the first goal is, is absolutely outstanding it's just I'm I'm loving watching him play at the moment Um, very exciting I like the
2: 1-2 the as well it's like nice to see how he played often and then followed his run round which I mm. thought was really good
1: well the whole goal you know if if you watch it through there's at least four opportunities for a player just to go and just lump it and just actually I'm going to take the easy option just pumping it into the channel there's at least four chances for them to do that but they don't um, and it's it's nice to see them get the rewards for that and I mean it's absolutely superb goal
2: Honeyman uh, could have had a penalty probably
0: should have should have
1: had a had penalty Stormwall absolutely Stormwall I mean the, wall. the
0: club Twitter account tweeted a, tweeted a clip of it out today asking people you know is this a penalty you know, obviously, we, they we know what it is, but we've
1: got a photo of it. I'll tweet it to wrote a Report later. It's with well, the guy's just got his arm on both shoulders. It's it's, it's just an absolute storm on penalty. Honeyman made two massive defensive interceptions in the second half, broke mm. up a couple of really, really, really dangerous counterattacks. I thought he did a lot of the dirty work yesterday. How um, do, you, be done.
2: What do you think about the criticism he gets? Because we get told that we're pro Honeyman in quotation marks and we're too nice about him, but. I don't understand why people are so negative. I mean, can you understand why people don't you know, rate them?
1: I, I, George is one of the most passionate people that I've ever spoken to. He scores goals. He doesn't always look the flashiest player on the pitch, but he finds a way of getting the ball in the back of the net. He runs all day. Um, Positionally, he's really disciplined. I, I'm a huge fan of George Honeyman. Really rate him. I'm thrilled he's got the captain's armband, and I'm thrilled he's still here.
2: Why, why do you think people don't rate him? Like, I mean, I. I hear people say that he's just not good, but I never hear why he's not good. I never ever hear anybody pinpoint well it's this area of his game or it's this area. I've, I've had many
0: arguments with people yeah. <laughs> about this and none of them seem to be able to give a reasoned explanation to me why why the, I, I I totally take someone's opinion on board and they're well entitled to, to, to think whatever they want about a certain player, but I don't see it. I watch some every every single week and I don't see I don't see the issue. I just think he's I think he's got a bit of everything, but the, the most important thing, and I've no, I've noticed this ever since. I can I can remember watching Honeyman play pre-season games when we, we had that couple of games at Darlington. Eh, sorry, at um, I think it was Bishop Auckland, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Where we had we played Darlington, we played um, the Spanish team Betis, and we played U- Udinese. And I think Honeyman featured across all three under Poirier, And I think he must have only been eighteen or something at the time. Um, and even then he was dropping in deep, always wanted the ball. And I was thinking God for an eighteen year old he's he's quite um he's quite lively like and, and those sort of qualities he's he's been able to develop them. Um the older he's got I, I think I think maybe people I I think maybe people view him differently to say Mumba because Mumba's sixteen Honeyman out of was twenty two to get a proper chance in the first team didn't really go anywhere on loan, so it's not as if you can back your argument up with, Oh, he went to, he went I know he went to Gator, but it was only a month. Um he's not he's not it's not as if he went somewhere for six months and did really well. And and people tend to give players who do that the, the more benefit of the doubt, to be honest.
1: I think the, the I mean, I suppose there's whether he's a good player or not, it's kind of an objective thing, isn't it? But yeah. the one the one criticism or the one thing I've seen on social media and what have you that is that is absolutely factually bang out is this I when he got the captain and people saying, Oh he's surely he can't be leadership material he is one of oh, the yeah. strongest and the loudest voices in that dressing room and he was last year as well Absolutely. when really the games he had under his belt he had no right to be but he was um, and he's very very popular and he's respected as well because he trains harder than anybody else and he's won won the respect I think of his teammates and, his, and the managers that way Um, I, th- I think he's I think I'm, th- I'm thrilled he's captain I'm really pleased he's still here
3: Honeyman's year honey, Honeyman's year that he came through in the academy as well they kind of they suffered a little bit from lack of development. Not many of them got set out on loan. Many of them got first-team opportunities. He only got his until he was, what, 22, Watford? was his, was his first start. John Egan, uh, Andrew Cartwright, Tommy Robson, Micka Mandron, like, all these players, uh, Scott Harrison. These were all players who were in Honeyman's year. He's a couple of years older than Gooch, you need to remember this. And these all, these all went. They're all like Colchester. I mean, Egan's obviously made a career of himself since. But all the players suffered from the academy because there was, there was stunted development. That was when Borley left, Stockdale took over. He only really started taking over at the academy. There was quite a lot of transition going on at the time and because of that, he's had to develop late. A lot of people don't really have, like I say, they don't have the patience that like they did for Mumba because he's older, because sometimes they don't realise that he's an academy graduate. He's a young lad, a massive solo fan. But one time I have one time I had an argument with... a. From my mates who said that he didn't like Honeyman in the in the 10 role because he thought he wasn't really number 10 he wasn't creative enough to be a number 10 he wasn't so sort a of player was going to take the ball of the game high up as an advanced playmaker and pass it off well, it's because Honeyman's not an advanced playmaker he doesn't play like that under Ross in that role he's more of an attacking midfielder he's very vertical the only time I've ever seen him do that was uh, 3-0, vic- 3-0 win over Hull when he was going out wide going around picking the ball uh, dictating play that's not how we're playing under Ross the dictating of the play is from deeper it, Max Power was doing it yesterday mcgeek has been doing it all pre-season his role is in there It's like an old school attacking midfielder number 10 who's also got a, a lot of responsibility shoulders a drop deep people who say he goes missing in games I just don't understand them. don't watch the game uh, he's not always I, just, I don't get it. he's not to be missing in games doesn't mean that you're on the ball all the time looking looking where to play where to go he's moving off the ball fantastic the amount of work he does off the ball in defensive positions is unbelievable for a number 10 and you just don't see that often See, well, that point argued very yep. well. George <laughs>
2: honeyman <laughs> is good. Uh, we're going to move from one captain to another. So, well, former captain, Lee Catamol. So a lot of discussion about him yesterday. Um, I think I was one of the most vocal people on Twitter about it. Like the fact that he came on and was at fault for the goal. But question here so, from Michael Smith. Were you surprised to see Catamol involved? And do you think he'll still be here once the window shuts?
1: Um, I think he probably will still be here when the window shuts. I find it very hard to see anyone paying his wages. Lee's a northeast lad. His family's up here. He's settled up here. I think he's only going to move. He said, "I don't think it's a situation like Coney, where Coney I think would make sacrifices to go and play in France and rebuild his career." I'd be surprised if Lee did that. I think he's still settled in the northeast. So I find it very hard. I think it would be the hardest one to move on. And I think the new regime knew that when they came in. I think they could see that coming from like quite a long way off. So yeah, I think he he will still be here. In regards to the to the question about yesterday, I don't think he was the reason Sunderland lost the game. I think uh, during the game, <laughs> yeah, I'm used to that clearly. <laughs> um, but I think that he looked rusty. I thought he looked rusty. He looked like someone who hadn't played a lot of minutes. The goal I couldn't actually see because there was a massive pillar in the way. Um, so I, I, I wouldn't want to dish out blame for that. <laughs> um, but I, I I think it's a difficult one. My instinct has always been not to involve him for the same logic that I thought was the right time for John O'Shea to leave in the summer, even though I've always liked John O'Shea and think he was a decent player. I just think it's a part of Sunderland's history that everybody wants to move on from. And I think that hangover is still there. And you can see that yesterday. And I do think Lee Catamore gets stronger criticism for making errors than other players will. And I understand that. It's because of the past few years. It's because of the money he's earning. And I think that's natural. And that's why my instinct is that he shouldn't be involved because I think it's just creating a problem that isn't necessary. The flip side of that is is that Jack Ross's big thing is he's it's all about consistent behaviour. And he doesn't want to make Lee Catmull different to anyone else in his squad. So it's important to Jack Ross that if Lee Catmull is one of the better midfielders in training and his application and his performances, he's got to be involved. Because I think he's determined that he won't have someone who's treated differently because of what's happened in previous seasons. But obviously It's much harder for supporters and journalists to see it that way because we've suffered through that period. So my instinct is very much I'd rather he wasn't involved for that reason. I think it's better for everyone to have a clean start. But I think Jack Ross has to be a lot more pragmatic about it and I think the club are going to have to be a lot more pragmatic about it because I think it's going to be very, very, very difficult to shift him. Do you
2: think... um, One of the things that confused me was the fact that he wasn't involved last week. And yet was brought in this week, and I just didn't understand why last week he wasn't deemed good enough, even though I think he was. What I had, the manager
0: was asked about it, wasn't he? he, he didn't he put down the tactical reasons? Yeah. Like, he said, what, "What
1: what he said is he said that I've certainly labelled take a week by week." I was surprised because when he wasn't on the bench on the opening day of the season, that didn't surprise me because I thought Lee's not going to be involved. So I was surprised when he was on the bench yesterday, and it's a very interesting point. How can you be not good enough one week and good enough the next? Further down the road, once McGeoch and Robson are back, I th- I think Lee will drop out of the squad. I really yeah, do. Um, McGeoch's probably the key player. Jack Ross loves Ethan Robson. He watched Sunland before he came into the job and straight away like the look of him from the Wolves game and some of the other appearances. So I think Ethan Robson's gonna push and and we all know how much he rates Ballymumba Mumba. So it's interesting. Jack Ross has always said oh, we'll take a week by week and I think there's gonna be more weeks where he's not involved than than where he is. It's interesting the central midfield. I mean, you talked about the amount of players we have there.
2: The actual depth that we have in that position now, when Robson gets back and McGeoch gets back, is actually frightening. It's better than the depth I had last year.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think I think it's good to have those options. Um, I'm still a little bit disappointed we don't have it. I know it it feels like we we say this every single week, but someone with a bit of height and strength and just someone and in, the, in the in the mold of alfred and die would be nice <laughs> <But> it, it's <laughs> so that size
1: george evans was six foot odd wasn't he and and when when they moved for him it was one of those he looked at and i know he's quite actually quite a technical midfielder but it was one of those where you looked at and you thought oh yeah that makes a lot of sense because he's played center half he's got a bit of height he'll help you out with set pieces so it was strange that when that didn't go through the player that came in was luke 09 who's clearly very promising but it's like He's, he seems to me like very similar player to Honeyman in a lot of ways. Yeah. yeah. So I have been a little bit surprised by the direction they've gone in having not got George Evans because I totally agree. I think set pieces is going to be an issue, particularly if, as you inevitably will, you're not going to get 46 games out of Glenn Leuven's. Mm. So there's going to be games where he's not going to play and you take him out the side and you think defensively, crosses in the box set pieces, it, it is one. It's still one of my big worries about yeah. the squad. Mm-hmm. But I don't think there's any doubt that they are done now in central midfield. You're not yeah. going to add anybody else to that. So that's going to be one of the interesting things to watch as the season develops because that is one of the one of the departments where you're not going to go, you still worry a little bit about, about the height and the physicality in there. Back to Catamor. uh Liam
2: Connolly asks, why bring him on before 9? And I think that was something that the Twitter universe were
1: surprised about, that Catamull came on before 9. I think it was... Trying to get into Jack Ross's head, he, you'd imagine it was an experience thing. You know, it was definitely was suffering at that point. They'd gone into half time in a fantastic position, and you thought, great, let's go on and kick on. They came out in the second half and they were suffering. And I think Ross thought Catamol might just steady things down a bit. I don't think he necessarily did. I think looking back, I don't think it was the right call, but I can kind of see why he made it. He obviously thought, oh, I'll get Lee's intelligence, his experience in there it might just settle something down a bit as it didn't quite come off. But I imagine that's why he made that decision.
2: You see, for me, I, I looked at it now in particular and I think, well, 0-9 will have actually played against Luton in them sort of games all the time, them hard away games in League 1, League 2, and Catmulls never have played in that. So that's why I thought 0-9 might have made more sense.
3: If you look yeah. at 0-9 as well, I think O 9s a little bit... He reminds me of anything Robson first game in the team. So when Robson first game in the team, I think his debut was against uh, Villa away in a Coleman's first game last season and uh, he was a bit of de- I, I like the look of Robson when he first came in I really like him now but he was a bit of a deer in headlights like he, he a little bit overawed I think that's the same with 0-9 O-9. O-9, O-9 only moved out of his parents' house when he moved to Sutherland like he, he may be f- six years older than Ballymumba but he's he's just literally moved out he's like, you know, that whole like the, the whole thing that went like viral of him ironing on the night before he, he, he finalised his transfer like he's a bit of a mammy's boy like that and he's like I think the move from the size of club from Wickham to Sutherland, the move from the style of football, like Phil mentioned, from what Wickham played, the direct stuff, getting supported by probably the biggest centre midfielder in League Two and definitely the biggest player in English football and out a and Fenwa. Like now, and then on oh, the first game, he was he was expected to like be the be the more experienced, more powerful midfielder out of the two with Bally And I think maybe the <sighs> kind of cultural change I mean, if you could say it's a cultural change or lifestyle change or whatever it's well, maybe over them a little bit
2: well it is i mean if i think about when i moved out of university for university like the first month was a mess yeah absolute mess i lived off sandwiches because i couldn't cook <laughs> and like you but well, you went there, but were you the same how were you for your first month bolognese
1: every yeah. single night so, so yeah bolognese is just the ultimate like when you first go to university it's simple bit of mince bit of tomato bit of basil and you can bit get of like basil. A, oh, bit, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cheap stuff from Tesco. Unbelievable. And you can reheat it like three nights in a row as well. Pasta, dirt, cheap. Oh, bolognese. If if 9's listening, they need some tips for <laughs> but, surviving. But, yeah, first but, like, month we were out of saucepans for six weeks. Didn't bolognese have a single plate. Cold. Like,
3: come on. But
2: the thing is, that's the point, isn't it? You know, when you move out for the first time at their sort of ages,
3: it is actually difficult. Mm-hmm. It's not Like easy. Bally Mumba, I remember remembers getting protected a lot by the academy. Like he's like I think Paul Reed had that really interesting Twitter article in that week, uh, Twitter like conversation with fans, like telling people about how the academy's going, and he was saying he wants like the younger players to be protected. He wants them at the academy too, even when the lads are on loan, like Brotherton. He wants him back at the academy, training all the time. Like Bally still lives in the Bine and Shields with his man dad. <laughs> like he's just going back to heart and school, like with his mates and that. Like to him, it's kind of probably a little bit too surreal. It maybe hasn't hit him.
1: I think I think with I think the the, the primary thing with 0-9 at the moment is and it's not a criticism of him as a player at all. I just don't think Jack Ross quite trusts him yet yeah. to carry out how he wants to play, and I don't think Luke 0-9 yet is completely comfortable carrying out what Jack Ross wants. Yeah. And that's not a slight on the player. Jack Ross has signed him because he thinks he's going to be brilliant. brilliant, and I think he will have an impact. But at the moment, he maybe just doesn't have that trust, and he maybe just felt that Lee Catamore, and that's such a divisive player. I understand, but he maybe just thought actually. Mm-hmm what I need at this moment I feel a bit more confident that I can get my message through to Catmull and he can go and do it he might not do it again because it didn't really work you know and that's going to be part of it for Jack Ross as well he's learning about these players as well that's the other thing like, I think that's yeah. why
3: power was brought in so quickly because we, we apparently we spoke to Everton hardly before the whole thing was finalised like, that's why it was Everton bloody Everton Wigan sorry <laughs> was like, what? Wigan so, was so- this is new? <laughs> it was such like, a little time before like, first contact he said that he was literally sitting watching Netflix the night before and then was like oh Paul Cook was like oh Max have agreed a deal for Sutherland. He was like oh shit what like the next day he's signing for him we only just didn't we only just missed the 5pm deadline I think that's probably because of Ross being maybe a little bit disappointed But O'Neill's impact now long term I think he's going to be a player he's going to be a real player he looks talented he looks tidy even when he didn't play too great against 45 minutes in Charlton he didn't
1: put a Do foot wrong, wrong or anything any, no. any, anyone could have been hooked yeah. and that's important to remember 0 oh, I was the one I got hooked anyone's got the captain's armband he's played all the way through pre-season so it was a sensible decision Yeah. but to, to look back and say "Oh, he was well out of his depth it, it, it's not really the case Someone would just poor and they had to get a centre midfielder out there and he was the obvious one to take off yeah. I, I, I don't think it's like a, a big issue I think he will get involved and I think he'll be a good player it, it, it might just take a few more weeks on the training ground I think it's just as simple as that mm-hmm.
2: uh, Elliot Embleton? Uh, he's in central midfield option. We haven't actually spoke about him yet. What do we see him going out on loan? Maybe I do. Yeah, the amount of options we've got makes sense. Does I think? It? I think I think the player probably does as well. I think he probably
0: probably looks at that situation and thinks I'd probably benefit yeah. from six months somewhere. But th- where? Like he's I a little...
1: one player, I would say. Possibly. Yeah, I think him and the two who I'd, I well the three I would definitely <laughs> like to see get a loan. Um, Embleton's one. Uh, Luke Molyneux's another. Maybe when McGeeley's fit again, maybe you can then look at moving. Molyneux out and Nelson because I think they're all players who can really cut it in the football league. But they just need to go and get games. Nelson for me, he's had a good spell up in Scotland. So now I would look at can we get him into league two? Can he score ten, fifteen goals this year in league two? And if he does, then you're looking maybe we can get him involved. I think those are the three and Embleton's definitely one that I would be really, really keen to see get a low move. Yeah,
0: I don't I don't I wouldn't say he's above League Two. That you know, I I think six months playing Men's football will do a lot for him because Definitely. he's physically very small, um, but you don't play for England if you're not a good player. So he needs to be getting games. I think, I think the the mistake we don't want to make now with this new regime and and obviously building from the ground up, we don't need to make the same mistake we did with players like Honeyman, where we li- we didn't give them enough chances to go out and get loan experience. And I think Embleton, um, you put him in any team in League Two and he'll improve the midfield. It's about giving them that chance to do it, and I'm sure there's plenty of teams would take an England under-nineteens off year for six months. You know, yeah,
1: yeah I'd agree. I'd agree. So you probably need mcgee Ock and Robson to be fit again before you'd be comfortable. Yeah, send them out. But once once got a few weeks,
0: haven't we? Yeah. You know, and I, th- I think you maybe get better idea of what's going on after the the game on Thursday because I've got a feeling Ross might use that as a chance to give players who haven't been getting in, you know, as much game time in the first two matches. Um, giving them a chance to, to show what they can do against good opposition.
2: Uh we're gonna talk a little bit about transfers. Um it's so obviously deadline semi-closed on Thursday. Technically isn't closed. It's a bit of a weird one, isn't it, now because it's they've got to look at that again, haven't they?
0: It's I think it's
1: it was it was a complete waste of time. And it, it wasn't until like the couple of weeks running up to this deadline day that you actually start looked at it and go, well, this just isn't a deadline day at yeah. all. Um and it and, and the whole thing obviously kicks down because now that now the Premier League's shut the Championship clubs know they can't loan players can't get players in and they're now looking at it's going to like the chain's going to kick down and so now Championship teams are going to start moving players out and that's when League One players can act so it's it's just the biggest it's a bit of a farce really you it, need to do one or the other it's kind of moment? changed
3: the whole like fabric of the transfer window for, for lower league clubs as well a lot a lot of lower league clubs they see like youngsters going on loan very early, they'll get these youngsters on a loan so they can bed them into the team and they're not spending any money on them barely. The bigger teams will probably pay all the way, just pay all their accommodation costs and everything. So they've got a body in early for as little expense as possible. So usually you'll see them in early. This time there's there's not many like younger players going out on loan to football league clubs as early. I think there's a few like Ben Woodburn, Sheffield United, there's but there's not too many. So they're all available now. I think that's because of this like half deadline this like soft deadline that they've had I'm going to be really interested
1: to see if there ends up being like a load of new Ricky Alvarez's where people like <laughs> yeah. do the like loan to buy thing yeah, and then they have definitely. like an absolutely terrible three months and they're like oh actually no no we're not going yeah. to buy him
3: Maybe- any like football league club with sense is going to do what we've done with power just get them on loan till January and say we're going to buy yeah. him in January maybe like we'll no longer be the only club who doesn't have res maybe like I'll be, like <laughs> be nice yeah. we can
0: bond with the fans
3: um, of the other clubs I think the only th- the reason this like a month exists I think it was Greg, Greg Clark Greg-, Greg Clark Greg Clark yeah uh, head of the FA used to be head of the AFL so he, he was worried that AFL clubs might not be able to adapt as well to the earlier deadline because they don't have much money as Premier League clubs so he wanted to put this as a safety net which, uh, it's a nice idea, but it's just stupid. But if it continues next year, then that's just stupid. I, can I don't, don't, it think, it it will. I don't no. think it will. They shouldn't have done
1: This'll the window last. this
2: year because of the World Cup. I don't
1: know why it was, they didn't I, I, I honestly summer. think it was the right thing to do, but it was the wrong time to do it. Yeah, next yeah. And it's interesting, FIFA actually are now introducing where all the leagues have got to shut their window the day before it closes. So although Spain and Italy will have another week, it will be much closer. And actually, I think that's really good. I think yeah, it it's really is. positive that the window shuts before your season starts. Um, but this year was just an absolutely ridiculous time to do it um, and actually it was really refreshing I know it's not wasn't really a deadline day but going into a Sunderland deadline day with Sunderland and actually they don't need like you're not going oh my god if we don't get four quality players in then we're stuffed it was quite refreshing that actually by and large most things were in place yeah. and we were kind of looking at going if we get something like Max Power brilliant if not we'll be okay and I think The manager and the new owners and the recruitment team deserve a lot of credit for that because to be more prepared than we have been in previous windows, despite having to build a new squad, that's actually a really, really, really impressive achievement. And to have now two weeks in the window where if we get somebody else in great, if not, not the end of the world, if you'd said to me they'd be in that place at the start of the summer, I would have been really impressed. It's, um,
2: it slowly came together, didn't it? Because initially, I remember when the new owners came in and were like, yes, we've got a big budget, we're going to buy loads of players. And then it just didn't happen for a while. And then slowly but surely, we just kept picking up one, two players every two, week.
1: the two for me were, were McLaughlin and McGeoch because they were good players. Yeah, they are. Good players. Yeah. All right, they didn't spend money on them. When those two came in, you just thought... Phew. Because then you know the manager can bring good players in. You can sell the club to them. The owners can bring good players in. So that was the point where I thought, it's going to take a lot of time. But actually...
3: Gear was a real coup really as well okay. not just like, for a club of our size but to get like not for our size but a club in our league should I say but to turn down like two championship clubs
1: up, up, reportedly to come for shows that we've we still got a pull well, I think yeah. it, again it, it goes back to what we are talking to earlier about Madge's intelligence and again that McGeeock made this move now shows the kind of intelligence that a lot of these players coming in the club have because McGeeock could have gone to the championship this year definitely but he would have gone into a team near the bottom because people weren't sure about him because he's come from Scotland. So you're going to a team near the bottom that doesn't play with the ball, where it's all over your head and you're struggling, you don't get a chance mm-hmm. to shine, and then suddenly all the English clubs go, oh, you can't cut it. Actually, he's he's come down one division, but he's playing a team that's going to suit him, where he's going to be the main man, where he can shine. And suddenly, suddenly or otherwise, his career in England opens up for him. And I just think it's really encouraging that we're getting in players who are seeing it that way. Um, and it's probably the same with McLaughlin as well. Um, I, I agree, but it's quite interesting because
3: the reaction from Scotland on the transfer wasn't that great. I've seen a lot of Scottish like football pundits and fans like really criticising McGeech. Is he's the only really player who Scotland have got now with experience of a decent age, who's got his ability as a deep line player maker with a ball at foot. They've got young players like McTominay who are coming through who are really talented, but they're not there now. So a lot of Scottish fans and pundits were. Criticising like, well, why is he going down to League One? Why, why is McGee going down to League One when we need
1: him in the for, like, ready for the for the national team well, now? But that's kind of my point: is that they know he's good enough to play at a good football yeah. team in the Championship. Yeah, I took that as great for us, but English clubs maybe didn't know that and weren't yeah. sure about that. So for that, so Dylan is not a League One player. No. Absolutely no way. Well, I don't think he would have been able to find the club worthy of his talents in the Championship. I don't mm-hmm. think they would have taken a punt on him. I Obviously, mean, Scotland, I, don't don't the one, the best team in League One. Yeah, and the kind of the kind of similar thing was. Turmer from Walsall going to Bolton yeah. look at that and think what that's that one was, of the most talented yeah. playmakers in League 1 and he's going to a long long ball team in the Championship. so yeah, I just think that I think he made I think McGeoch's made a great decision for his career even just looking past from a Sunderland perspective um, and I, I can't some people might not have really seen him because they didn't see much of pre-season I can't wait for Sunderland fans to watch him because we've not had a midfielder like that in years he's what Darren Gibson should have been but for <laughs> all sorts of reasons wasn't um, we we haven't had a player who can pass like him for so long He can yeah. control the tempo of the game it's, mm. it's really exciting to have what we've had in the first two games to then be bringing potentially your best player back in I think he's
3: going to complement with Power really well as, as well the, the different players completely different players and I know Power was kind of she-honed into McGeoch's role yesterday but once he's pushed further forward the two are going to complement each other really strongly And like we spoke with a, a Wigan fan on the site for like an interview about Max Power and like what to expect and he was saying like He's a little bit worried about how he would have done the championship last time when the championship he struggled. But he was actually looking forward to seeing him this year with such a good season off the back of last season. on And he's saying, like, he's for him, like, one of the best midfielders in League One. Yeah. So the two together are really exciting.
0: Just to go back on another point as well was uh, with players coming back. I mean, you talk about McGeeock being our best player potentially coming back in. You, you just think of the, the quality of player we have got to come back. You know, McGeady should comfortably be the most creative midfielder in this in this league if he's motivated. Um Duncan Watmore was playing with a lot of the players who just got England World World Cup semi final not long ago, you know what I mean? He was he, he he stays fit and he's a he's a top championship player, not a not a League One player. Um, Charlie White was signed to be our main striker. We haven't seen him kick a ball yet. Um, but he's coming back in and you look at that and then you, you think of how we've already started. And it, it's exciting, to be honest. I think we've got a lot, we've got a lot more depth than people realise. It's just because of the injuries that it maybe masks over it a little bit. I mean, you look at our bench on Saturday and you can see you can see where we're struggling for options, which is why we brought on oh nine 9 yeah. for, for Madger, for instance.
3: What it says all about Sullen for me is that yesterday, we got down to King's Cross, walked into St Pancras, <laughs> waiting for the train to Luton. Some guy comes over and he's like, oh, Sullen. He's like, yeah, hey. he's, like, oh, he's playing today, Luton. He's like, Canal Luton in the Premier League. Like you just immediately assumed we were in the Premier League. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, nah, mate, we're in League One now." It's just more about him, to be fair. Like, he yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very drunk or very stupid. Um,
2: where do we need to strengthen? then I mean, if we say if we ended the window right now without buying bringing in
1: another player, is that a, a disaster? I, mean, I think it's potentially a controversial opinion. I, I'm not 100 percent sure. We definitely need anybody else. I think another striker would be nice, but I think it's a luxury. What about mm.
2: a centre back? I think we need a centre back, mate.
1: Do you? With Flanagan as well,
2: coming back? I just think the fact that Leuvens is in his mid-30s, the fact that, obviously we've not seen, he's injured at the minute, Flanagan, but I just think having five might make more sense, especially too if he does end up playing three, maybe, at the back occasionally.
1: But then, it, then it's difficult, isn't it? Because you're going to struggle to loan a centre-back if he's going to be one of five, because clubs aren't going to want to give yeah. him to you. Mm. So how do you get a player who's actually going to improve you in it's those it's conditions is difficult. I know, I yeah, I, you, you're probably right. And I think centre-halves is one of the positions where yesterday, I think, probably allayed some of our concerns. But I think we've all had them. It's, it's a shame we don't have a, a academy
2: product who could act as the fifth centre-back. It's a shame we don't seem to have any that stand out to play. He did, he, he did give a few chances to Brandon Taylor in, in pre-season. I don't know how we thought about him.
3: I don't think he's um, anywhere near ready. No, no,
0: he's only just broken the under twenty three. to so be fair
3: yeah. Um, That's the thing, both... And under twenty three centre backs, like they're both quite young. Him and Alex Story. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: But I mean, it's not that long till January. I think we might be able to get by with what we've got in that position till yeah. then. Th- Flanagan is a player who I was actually quite impressed with in preseason. I really like him. Um, I didn't have any expectations for him I just thought I re- again what what you said about talking opposition fans were sport were to where uh, the guy from the Burton Mail when Flanagan signed, um, and. The impression I got from that was that he's all right. Plays, he's, he's a bit of a Darren Williams. players
3: exactly what I say yeah, that.
0: players Plays three or four positions for you, does a job. And I was a bit underwhelmed, if I'm honest. But I didn't really, I'm I'm one of these, that I'll always give a player a chance before, making an opinion on them. I, I hate it when I see other fans putting a player down who they've never seen kick a ball for Sunderland. I hate that. So I was, I was willing to give him a chance, obviously. And pre-season, I thought he looked really good. Um, I think he would have started the Charlton game if he'd been fit.
1: Oh, he would have started yeah. ahead of Osteir, a hundred percent. He
0: was He was You know, he, I mean, I've seen him quite a bit in pre-season, but I thought that that forty-five minutes against Middlesbrough he was our best player when he moved into midfield. When
1: he was
3: in midfield, it was his yeah. best performance, yeah.
0: Yeah, and I, and I just think he, you know he's really worked hard in pre-season to to nail a place down. Um, so I wouldn't worry too much. I just I, the thing is, we're, we're kind of at the back of mind. You've always got this thing about Sunderland and injuries because it's always a problem for us every season we have key players missing through injury and we can't get a settled team and we can't get our best team out as much as we'd like um so that's probably playing at the back of a lot of people's mind maybe yours Connor I don't know that you know if players can't stay fit it might be a problem for us but I think I've got my fingers crossed I just think certain players like Flanagan Little knocks and stuff maybe they'll get over that and once we're in the swing of things, we'll have a nice big squad to pick from.
3: I've only got a main worry about Reese James. Yeah, yeah. I've yeah. got a little bit of like back in my mind about McGee because of his past, but he's he's had basically two years at Hibs injury free.
2: Yeah,
0: you have oh, got yeah. to, you just yeah. got
3: to hope that's down to the state of that pitch and state of the weather down at Borough
1: because <laughs> that was that was ridiculous.
2: Yeah. How, how do we rate the business overall? if you going to give it a rating out of ten? Just a
1: quick one. You know what would you give it? Providing there's a few goal between now and the end of the month, I'd give it mm. an eight. Eight fair. If if
0: we somehow get rid of dong and Jilabadi and one off Catamola and Dong
2: and aviedo do you mean?
0: Yeah, uh, yes, one uh, Catamola and <laughs> Um, I would say you're, you're nearing on a ten. Like when you look when you look at what what they had to do when they come in, the scale of the turnaround for me to to target a certain type of player. I mean, we've been very very um, we've took the time with the transfers. I mean, Stuart Donald sat right in that chair. And told us how how worried he was because he gets worried about it. But the recruitment team, the manager, weren't worried. They they were pretty confident that they get the players in. Since then, we've signed a lot of good players for this level. Um, I I like that they were so diligent and I like that they took the time with everything. Um, so
1: I, I'm that's, pretty happy with the business. That's so a far. massive massive tick in the manager's box. Not just to come in and go, Fuck, I've got no players. Yeah. And just go out and just say, hey, who can we get? Right, let's go and get five loanees in because I know I've got five players. Yeah. I think it would have been really, really easy to do that. That um, could happen last year.
0: Speaks a lot for his intelligence, though, is not he? Isn't he a, a graduate in economics? He's quite, you know, he's, he's got his head screwed on when it comes to money. I mean, for Billy Sharp, for instance, we we could have thrown money at that. I know he didn't want to well, come in the end, bid. but but Jack Ross, when you want them on loan, did you see the you know Noah had a bid turned down on deadline day? Did? Um, did he, he
1: didn't. He didn't uh, say whether it was a, a permanent
0: bid or what. Yeah, it was. A, it was a loan, but Jack Ross changed his mind and decided he wanted him on loan because yeah. we're only going to get him for a year
3: yeah he didn't think he could uh, it in the
2: championship which I agree with Yeah, but he's a 10 goal man in the championship isn't he if, yeah but uh, he's 30, but, 33 by, by, by time the time we you get, get there
0: year. and I think our aspirations might be higher than that I think I think you can look at the, the the age of the majority of the players we've brought in this summer they're all about 24, 25, 26 yeah. um, with good experience and, and, and the capability to not only play in league one but play a, a step higher the big one just, to look at
3: for me is Wyke He's the only one with a three-year deal. Yeah, yeah. that's interesting. That they gave him a three-year deal. He's what twenty-four, twenty-five, Charlie. And league? and the the fee that Sunderland paid to Bradford, there is a portion of
0: that which we could end up paying out, provided we get the Premier League. So they are looking at White as a player, not just for this season, but the next couple. Mm. Um, so I'm I'm really happy with the business. I I just yeah. I respect how because they could have thought like Stuart Donald and the majority of fans panicked a little bit. And they didn't. They took the time and they've managed to get a player like Power on deadline day or just after the deadline who any team in this league would have been thankful for.
3: I, I just I just think they've done very well. It's nice how balanced the squad is that they've built as well. This is the most balanced squad we've had in a good few years. And I think a lot of a lot of that credit deserves to go to Tony Corton. Now obviously when Jack Ross came down, I think Donald himself, or maybe one of the one of one of the members of the club said that they were a little bit worried about his lack of experience of or he Ross himself actually yeah, was Ross yeah, himself. Yeah. Who said that he was a little bit worried about his own lack of experience in the English transfer window? So one of the p- big parts about bringing Tony Coton in was he's a, he's he's well experienced and well versed in working and operating within the English level levels that transfer window. So Coton deserves a lot of credit as well as Ross for the balanced squad that they've put together
0: and Richard Hill as well, who's the guy doing a lot of the deals. You know, the, what I like is they've got a you can you know they've got a they've got a I guess a committee on transfers. And everybody knows their job, and it works. And when's the last time we had that? You know, they yeah. had, you, had, you had Martin Bin trying to do everything on his own at one point. No, at no, no and, I'm on
2: Martin Bain, I'm so You know,
0: <laughs> no, but that, that, that thats where we've come from. Even yeah. though we've had to drop a league, with the restructuring that went on, is 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 a benefit in pretty much every. Compared avenue. to what
3: David Reese said last week on the pod, uh, Dave Priest. Sorry, yeah. all I'm all over the day. place today. <laughs> I'm blaming the beer. Is. You need to have your yeah, show poo. Maybe a, bottle of, maybe a maybe <laughs> a bottle of Smirnoff by half twelve was a bad idea, I say. But uh no but priest was saying like Camp <laughs> when we signed Camp, he's obviously he obviously knows Adrian Tucker. Adrian Tucker, I got a call off one of his one of the guys that was down in, down at Cardiff was like, Oh yeah, he uh, that he's getting Lee camp by us and then he took our oh, goalkeeping coach went, Oh that we? says all about the, the approach from this last season of this season in terms of transfers.
2: Right, I'm going to jump on to a bit of... We've done an hour. I know we've seemingly jumped to like an hour and a half podcast now. (laughs) um, The game on... So we've got Thursday and Sunday. uh, Sheffield Wednesday on Thursday. Last time I heard we'd sold about 3,000 tickets, which isn't ideal. I think I was on... Thursday last week I was told we sold 3,000
3: yeah well they expected to be local to low attendance there's only three blocks open in the east stand.
2: well he, Stand. when I spoke One to of Chris two. Waters he was saying that they should have opened the full stadium because people are reluctant
1: to not sit in that season ticket seat it was funny my, my mate was buying tickets and he went on the thing that shows you the stadium and he, he says to me he says oh it's nearly sold out there was only a few <laughs> seats left I can't believe it it's Sheffield Wednesday <laughs> in the cup I was like no it's because they've only opened up some of it but, yeah that I think it, there's just so many games this year because you've got the check trade as well. Um, it's it's especially with it being on telly as well. Mm-hmm. It's one of those where like, as a fan, you're probably umming and ahhing. Sheffield Wednesday, you know they're going to play a, a weekend team. Can I be bothered? And that's on the telly. On a Thursday, we. I don't, don't know Thursday. if we've ever played a Thursday is, night home game. Thursday I know we
2: played football. away a couple of
1: times, but so never at home. Uh, but I'm aware. Th- I don't like it.
0: Back when when we were Premier League club, and we were getting forty odd thousand. Even the cup games, then we were only getting thirteen, fourteen thousand.
3: Yeah, what's know? the point?
0: Yeah, uh, and it's on TV. I wouldn't blame anyone. For
2: it's not, gonna be horrible. Know. I just know that I'm gonna get berated with. I mean, I'm going because I'm an idiot, <laughs> but I'm where. going
3: as well.
0: But yeah, it's gonna I'll, be. I'll, I'll be there definitely. But I, I can totally understand some people don't want to go, and it's just, it's just a. For me, I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the game because I want to. It's gonna be an opportunity to see what more of higher teams. That and just see a couple of the players who maybe need the the minutes. Mm. You know. It'll be like nice. O'Neill will probably start. You would imagine.
3: Yeah, I think him and um, Yeah. no oh, you just jumped in straight
2: away and took the next question. I was just going to ask you. Well, what you think go on, <laughs> <No, go> on. <laughs> well, um, it's one? i redundant now. No, I'm Who's who's playing?
0: Well, I don't. I don't know when the injury. For, we'll probably get a better idea when he speaks to the to fill in the rest of the press before yeah. the game. When is that? The next press conference?
1: Uh, cheese Yeah.
0: Yeah. So cheese. you'll you'll have a good idea by you'll probably know his team by then. Um, you'll know which of the injured
1: players are available for selection. I think I think Robson and McGeeock will play if they're fit I mean I don't think McGeeock will play 90 minutes but I think they we'll want to get him back on the pitch because he's had a couple of weeks out of it now mm. if Robson's fit he'll definitely pick him because like I say he he wants to use him this year so Is we he want to get some minutes Is he back in, in training yet Ethan Robson? Cause I, f- I, know uh, I and think or... he started training um, last week which just wasn't quite oh, good. ready for the game It'd be interesting that to see
0: if Owenian starts if you think that
1: then I is think well, is he going to drop
0: his would he, will he drop his captain then honeyman, or will he play him yeah, on the I, wing maybe I think he think I think, he might. I
1: think might drop him for a cup game
0: yeah yeah I've, I've got no problem with that I just wonder if, if that's something he would do like what's he going to do up front because he'll have to play logically. um not maybe maybe make him Nelson a chance also Nelson,
1: <laughs> Nelson's not fit
0: <laughs> no right is it Nelson's, not I, not, Nelson's not I, I guess Maja will play then
2: yeah because yeah. obviously they're going to be thinking oh well, we're not actually going to have another striker well actually fun
0: funny enough I think we might be trying to get a striker in by then so if he does if they are still in that mindset of yeah we need another striker then I would imagine whoever he is will be be in the team by Thursday
2: and what about for the Scunthole game on Sunday or is that just too
1: far away to even think about
0: (laughs) who's going to be playing
1: McGeoch well presuming the injury situation is as we expect it to be McGeoch in for Mumba yeah yeah. push power a bit further forward other than that same team yeah same
0: yeah yeah. You know, barring someone coming in and giving a man a match performance against Wedd, I would agree Think uh,
2: right there, will get a game against Sheffield? Yeah, yes,
0: I do. Yeah.
2: yeah. I maybe. Mean, what's
0: happened with Strychek? Uh, see, I think he probably just play with the twenty threes again. Maybe. Uh, the, the the interesting thing with the twenty threes was that we've signed the keeper to replace Michael Wood who left. So, the you could see Strachey leave on loan, but who's going to be looking for a keeper really in the leagues? I
1: think, yeah, I think it's a problem. You, ideally, you'd want to loan Strychek out because obviously. You, <clears throat> He, he had that last year and then got injured, didn't he? But it's difficult now because most football league teams have pretty much done their business. Yeah. So nobody's going to be looking for a first choice goalkeeper. I'm, so it might be quite hard to find the right place for him, actually.
0: I'm wounded for him, you know, because he, he got that loan to, to Akron was the first choice goalkeeper and the game he started and got injured and had to leave. And they ended up winning the league. And you just, it's gutting for a minute because he yeah. could have been a part of that. And that would have
2: been massive for us, massive for him. But he could have been the num- if he'd went up with Akron last year or the year, what was it, the year before maybe? Oh, was last year. No, what was that, it was yeah, the one, one that they won, they won the league last yeah, year. Yeah, well, had two years the they came close, didn't the the year before. They but you, you
0: imagine he stays in the team, yeah. Then we... and, and stays there all season, and they get promoted, and then you maybe look at that and think, well, he could be our first first choice goalkeeper of this season. I'm not saying how, that might not necessarily how it went, but it just it's 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 disappointing for him. I, I would, and, and it's that's why I'm a little bit good. He you never
3: know, got a chance to leave. Yeah, like, I like the look now. of Streyk as well. Like whenever he plays, he looks. He looks solid, but he looks he smacks of a keeper who's just had no real football, like not played men's football. Yeah. Not really got stuck into like hustle and bustle. Like and that, that loan deal, if it did work out in the end, would have been perfect. Yeah. Oh we with that alarm see if he needs a keeper. Could
2: <laughs> work. won eight one at the weekend. Didn't wow. they get humped the week before though? I don't care, they won 8 one. Big game. Um we've got a few final questions mainly for Phil about I mean you you're in and around the club, aren't you, quite a lot? Uh, yes. Would you say uh, <laughs> so? Yeah. yeah. Uh, have you noticed much of a change since the summer? Um, well, since, I suppose, the old regime left and the new one came in. There's probably less people around. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's <laughs>
1: certainly true, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, an absolutely massive difference, partially just because of, not necessarily because this is great and everything before was bad, but I think you're signing a different kind of player, players without egos. Um, I mean, Yesterday, we, we, we chatted to Max Power for the first time, and um, you know, players after games, especially, were always itching to get away. Um, Max Power couldn't have been more generous with his time chatting, just absolutely fantastic. And that goes for a lot of the players. Um, the biggest difference for me that I've noticed, which might sound a bit weird, is the difference in the cars leaving the <laughs> training ground to where they were. Yeah. I know that sounds like a daft thing, yeah. but these guys are driving normal cars. Oh, well, they're driving. What's I've the... seen I've seen minis going out. Oh, nice! Um, nice. Don't get me wrong. Nice cars. Nice cars. But just not... but like not like black as out. Any any No seat
2: <laughs> at No seat i <pieces>. <laughs> I'll
1: keep my eye out though for you. Now yeah. now that I'm looking for it. But I think it's just there is definitely a bit more a bit more openness. Not because the previous regime were evil, and it's just a, a nature of where you are. But I think the the backroom staff definitely have tried to make a big effort to bring everything a little bit tighter at the academy and it's one of the things Jack Ross has mm-hmm. talked about which has been really interesting was that everybody says the academy's amazing it's the best thing in the world and it is the facilities are incredible but he says actually it's a massive 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 facility and it can keep people apart and it could be quite hard to build a togetherness and he talks about when he was at St Mirren obviously they trained in fairly limited facilities um, and he said well, everyone was together and he knew everything was going on not in a control free kind of way he just picked one player's moods because mm-hmm. you could see what they were like about the place, yeah. and all of a sudden he's at the academy and he's lost a bit of him and his coaching staff have lost that closeness. That's interesting. So that that I found that really interesting because it's not something yeah. I'd ever processed before. So there's definitely a bit of a sense of a back to basics, a bit of a yeah. more grounded, partially because of the kind of players they've recruited, partially because of what they've done, and partially just because of a because of the circumstances, because of where 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 you are playing. But it, yeah, there's, there's been a lot of positives in that sense.
3: Uh, how- the kind of mirrors what Ross has said himself about trying to improve the psychology of the players which I think is massive like you can't underestimate how difficult it'll be from getting from like a such a horrendous losing mentality of two years from older players I think Ross has mentioned a lot the the, the psychological differences like the, the work and with the players that really sits well into that so, um, uh, one thing that you said that really sticks out in my mind was against uh, Hartleypool after it went 1-0 down and Don Love made a bit of a mistake and the fans got on his back a little bit. Now he didn't mention the fans at all but he just said he could see in his body language that Love himself was thinking on the pitch I made a mistake here, we'll go again. And he was like, he needs to get pick these players up and get that mentality away. So bringing everyone closer together like that, bring making sure he physically and metaphorically closer together really makes a lot of sense.
1: Which feeds in a little bit into what, not to go overall grand, but it feeds a little bit into the Catamore thing. Yeah, You know, he can't have that approach and then say, I'm not going to include you because of because last year he didn't play very well or whatever Mm. you know so yeah that's a a big part of his ethos and it's been really really interesting to see it so far
2: How's your dealings with Martin Bain in the past did you meet him did you speak to him
1: Um, I met Martin three times I think Um, to be fair when I I took the role January of the season we got relegated so I kind of missed him coming into the club so I never really had much of a relationship with Martin just because things were already kind of up in flames by the time I arrived um, I he, he was okay on a personal level I, yeah. had, no, I had no problems with him um, he was obviously as some sports know he, he was quite a smooth talker um, he came across in a certain way quite controlled um, like I say I, I never had any problems with him really but there was just a power vacuum at the club because there was just nothing coming from above um, and I the the transfer decisions that were made in that time. Obviously, there was a financial context. That was what hammered him because he might have had he might have had all these things he wanted to do for the culture of the club and what he wanted to do on the business side of things, but none of it mattered because the whole thing was just collapsing on the pitch and he never was able to get a grip of that, which meant anything else he might have to do was irrelevant. Um, I can't say I had any personal problems with him, but the results were there for themselves, weren't they? How do you think Chris Coleman would have done if he'd
2: stayed Something um, I don't think any of us have
1: actually talked about, how he would have done yeah, it. Yeah, that's in interesting. Actually, it's difficult. Um, I think he would have done fine. Yeah. I think it took him a long time last year to find his best team and that's why something went down. There was a stupid
2: insistence on playing D3 at the back or five at the
1: back. Yeah, I think I think there were certain things he picked up on too late. Gooch was an obvious example of that. He Suddenly started playing him on the right wing in a 4-3-3 and it was like, oh my God, Gooch is unbelievable. And if he picked up on that 10 games earlier, who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, I think Chris would have done, I was I was gutted for Chris because so much of what Jack Ross want to do in terms of bringing the club together, Chris saw that and he wanted to do, but it was impossible for him because there was the obvious issue with the ownership that made it very hard to bring the club completely united. And he also had things going on like Rodwell. So you, you can't go into a dressing room and say, right lads, we're all going to come together, we're all going to lump in. Mm-hmm. When the guy on the biggest money is just, Sitting in the gym, lifting weights, uh, I just want to get involved. I think a lot of the things that the owners wanted to do with the club, if they'd sat down and had a meeting with Chris Coleman, there would have been broad agreement. I think in terms of the kind of player he wanted to bring in, the kind of culture he wanted to create, I don't think they would have disagreed on a lot. But at the same time, like we are talking about with Cat Mole no share, is it the worst thing in the world that someone completely fresh has come in? Mm-hmm. Probably not, but he would have done fine. He would have done fine. And yeah. he's it. It took him too long to find his best team at Sunday, but he he knows he knows football and he would have been fine.
3: Last year I got in quite a few arguments with like fellow like rogue Report guys or like just other fans or whatever about Coleman. Like I kind of defended him a lot, like I was a bit of a Coleman apologist. <laughs> but if you look now, like I think if Coleman was in charge now, he'd probably still get a decent squad together, decent balanced squad together. But I don't know if we'd be looking into the season and thinking, Oh, I could win this. Because if you look tactically, I, I just think Ross is just a far cry from Coleman tactically. He's just completely superior. But it's you, you say that, and that's and
1: that's fine. But he had obviously both hands tied behind. And his back. Coleman had no strikers. That's yeah. true. Yeah, know, know what I mean. I know, all, and obviously, all these out. Yeah, but. maybe maybe Mourinho would have kept Sunderland up even <laughs> without a striker. I don't think Coleman was it was a great tactician, but the place was a mess, and he was. I loved that he came in and said, "Oh, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. It's Sunderland, and I'm going to sort it." but it was a little bit naive. Um, I I hate the argument, because I know we had it with Moyes as well. I hate the argument that, oh, no one could have kept something or whatever, because obviously it's total nonsense. But I just think the challenges were just so great. And the biggest thing was that the way the club was, he wasn't able to kind of pull it together Mm -hmm. in the way he wanted. And I'm a big believer tactics are important, but it's not as important as getting the mood right and getting the, you'll know yourselves from your own life and work or whatever, having that spirit and that togetherness, I think carries you a long way. And he was never able to do that, and I think that was primarily really why it went down the way it did. But yeah. I still think he's a good manager. I'm glad to see him get another job in
3: football as well. well
1: very, we very lucrative one. It's worked out yeah. all right for him. He's yeah, a bit it? of a fortune
3: cookie.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he hasn't well done he, he didn't do too bad at <laughs> Sunderland either, though. That's, that, there was no way he would have probably stayed on on the money he was on in
2: no, in League One. He already said in interviews, didn't he, that he would take a pay
1: cut? Yeah, because
0: he because yeah. he, he was looking over his shoulder a bit. I think he also
1: uh, obviously. At the time we all assumed it was just about pay, but obviously its since come to like they had this clause in his contract. Yeah, so it was his a lot hands. cheaper to get rid of him under the old ownership, yeah. which I think is what he actually meant when he said, I'll basically redraw my contract. Um I don't know, it's a shame. I listen, as a journalist, you're biased to managers who come in and speak well and give you good quotes and He was full of that's yeah, that's, yeah. that's natural. He was brilliant. I used to love spending time with him. He was a great it sounds like I was in love with him. Maybe I was a little, <laughs> was a little bit. Um, probably the same with Jack Ross as well, to be fair. But no, I, 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 I wish it had worked out.
2: Looking back on last season, to be fair, the Ellis short reign, how do you feel about criticisms of the local press? And we, we I suppose, could also be in that as well, and that maybe
1: we didn't do enough to force the issue. I think, I'd say, there's a question I think about a lot as well, because, to be fair... um. Sunderland isn't just my job. Obviously, it is primarily my job. But to be fair, I was season ticket for an awful long time. So it it is obviously because it's now my job, I don't have the same connection and support as see you in a slightly different way, and that's fine, and I do as well. So I thought a lot about what what, what can we do. Ultimately, when it comes down to it, you can only be accountable for your own writing. And I do, yeah. in, in, in my own personal, I would say that I think if you... Followed sort of my writing through the season. I think I was very critical about Ellis, but it's definitely the case that our coverage didn't have the the tone of say maybe other clubs, the papers in the northeast, yeah. the Chronicle basically. <laughs> I, I don't know why that was, which might sound strange, but it wasn't a it wasn't a decision or oh, we're not going to call out short whatever because I felt like we were. I certainly felt like in my in my writing I was, but it certainly it didn't come across the same way and, it, and it's something I still think about now because like I say, I, I, it might just sound like I'm just saying it, it, it's not just like my job to me because you do want to do it well because it's your club and because cause my family, it's uh, a fans, we made to a Sunland fans so you kind of feel that pressure as well because you know they're kind of keeping track of what you're writing and stuff so it's, it's a question I probably haven't fully got my own answer to. Yeah, I think so, it's out of your hands as well, you can only follow editorial as well. Well, I think that <laughs> What I would say is, is there was never any pressure from above that you can't criticise or anything like that. We mm. were never said you can't do this or can't do that, so I, I wouldn't pass the book like that. Like I say, the, the the thing in my head that I haven't quite worked, I didn't feel maybe what we were writing was maybe being... People obviously felt that it wasn't going far enough, the echo or whatever wasn't doing enough, and I never quite cracked that because I felt my own writing was pretty strong against Short and what have you, but clearly it didn't come across in a certain way clearly didn't get that kind of traction or that attention or whatever which I don't really have the answer to do but. you
2: ever worry with obviously you have access to the club do you ever worry that if you write something that is you know horrendously not horrendous but very critical that they might be like well you're not coming
1: in or you know we'll cut your ties to the club or no not really I mean to, to Sunland's credit they've never gone down that route in the I mean, I think there was one with Poirier a few years ago, wasn't there? Someone got banned, I think. Yeah, the cover jail G- stuff. G- generally speaking, someone who've never gone down that route, I, I just, so I never really worried about that. And actually, to be honest, sometimes you can actually benefit from that kind of thing. Do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah, it, it's it 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 wouldn't we wouldn't if if the club were like oh you can't come in or whatever we wouldn't all of a sudden be like oh my god what we're we gonna do you would just adapt to it. So honestly, that's that was never concern genuinely wasn't um and it it wouldn't be now if things started to go wrong uh definitely not
2: and how how have you found the new regime as a whole what's what's your relationship like with them are they as open with you as what they've been with us or um
1: yeah yeah they've been really really approachable really helpful um i think obviously there is a um there is a desire to kind of put fans first um and you've seen that in obviously stuart coming in here and stuff we we had a press conference with Stuart, but kind of on the record and what have you, he's gone to fans first. I don't have a problem with that whatsoever. Um, at the end of the day, it's it's to everyone's benefits if they're willing to work with everyone. And from a fan looking at now, I'd be looking at saying, well, the fans are getting, fan media is getting great access, so the quality of their content goes up, we're getting decent access to so the quality of our... I just think it's a win-win situation for everyone, really. Mm. Um, I certainly, this kind of fan-first approach... It's certainly not sidelined local media, if that makes yeah. sense. It's not being always oh, speaking to them. Therefore, we're not. There's no dialogue with you or whatever. I found them to be to be approachable and, and, and helpful. Um, you know, and it, and it kind of it's everyone's responsibility to keep that up. And what I mean by that is, it's their responsibility not to go hide and if results go yeah, or to make some bad mistakes. And maybe it's our responsibility as journalists and as you guys. Maybe it's our responsibility to ensure that when it does go wrong that we're constructive about it and civilised about it. So it's kind of, now it's fine because the team's doing all right, we're all enjoying it, happy days, we can all be friends kind of thing. Maybe it's both parties are going to have to, if it starts to go wrong, they're going to have to make sure they don't just go immediately ground and maybe we have to make sure we're constructive about the way we go criticising it and that's going to be to the benefit of everyone in the long run.
2: Final thing that I'm going to bring up is we've had a home game and away game. Do we like League One? Is League One oh, almost class? Yeah, is it Sorry. almost <laughs> because we are at this level and you get a, It's like proper football, isn't it? Yeah, I absolutely love it. Like, like, is like, it better
3: than going to like the Liberty Stadium? Oh, god, I. Yeah. Apart from the fact that that's like nine hours away. Yeah. That's one of the worst away games. But um, it's, it's just nice. Like proper fans, you seen proper fans. About, I, I was mentioned on the way back when I made mates yesterday. We're just sitting on the train, off cut by this point. And he's like, and you do talking shit, on the way i from the way again, you're knackered of all the adrenaline going out your body, and you're thinking, you're like, no, oh, those Luton fans are actually properly sound. Like <laughs> you, 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 you can didn't go... see anyone with uh, hashtag free Tommy on the back of the shirt. No, God no. <laughs> oh, thank God. We <laughs> yeah, don't get political on this podcast. We're <laughs> <laughs> not with Damien, not here anymore. Anyway. No, but, um, <laughs> no, but they were like they were just like they were asking us like, oh, like what's what's it like being down here? Like, uh, what are your expectations of the season, whatever. Like, just being sound. You go to a Premier League team, and being amongst thousands at Man United, and not a single person would say a fucking word. Do you? Not a single one. It's nice just to be around proper ground. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm properly old school. I hate Sky Sports. I hate the Premier League. I like I prefer old school football. Uh, I thought Kenilworth Road was an amazing little horrible shit stadium. It was absolutely brilliant. Like That's... I was stuck behind a pillar where I couldn't see half of like the goal. And then they couldn't see any of their end because the roof was so low. But it's class. Like how many teams you know, don't go to the Premier League and stand in your row and be falling over your seat when you score because there's literally a random step exactly where your chair is. <laughs> it's class, man. Right. Well, James had his say.
0: What do we think? Yeah, it, it, I think I think everybody, not just. I mean, we've spent a lot of you know this show talking about things that have changed at the club, but I think the fans needed needed this. They need this. Uh, however long it lasts, we need it. We need, just to start afresh, remember what it's like to enjoy being a football fan again. I mean, we spoke about it last week, but the, the euphoria, the noise, when we scored that winner against Charlton, we could have been playing in the Northern League and it wouldn't have mattered. All Sunderland fans want to see is a team on the pitch that... They think reflects them that wins games occasionally, um, and I've got full confidence that that's what we're going to say this year. Um, and if we don't go up, but we give it, we give it a good go, and the players try the hardest every week, I don't think you'll find a single Sunderland fan who, who can complain about that. I just think we all needed this, and it's um, it's been nice. It's been nice, and it will be nice to come up against different teams and teams we've never played before. It's a breath of fresh air. Yeah. Absolutely. And Even I, though I'm, it took to double relegation, it's still... Yeah. And we're gonna we're all going to love it if it goes well. So, yeah, I'm looking forward
2: to it. Phil, how do you find it?
1: I think the the main thing I've taken away from the last two games actually is I probably <laughs> had kind of like caricature of what the football was going to be like in League One. I thought Luton were a really good side. I said they were physical, but they yeah. did some decent stuff. And tactically, really clever in what they did. Charlton, I thought Lyle Taylor looked better than... Eighty percent of the strikers I watched in the championship last year. Yeah. Um, So actually, I've been quite pleasantly surprised by the standard. I know Charlton and Luton are probably two of the better teams, but yeah, I've I've enjoyed it so far. I do, I do miss watching the best players in the world at the stadium alive. But that's only enjoyable when your team can compete with them. Yeah. You know. So I have to say I miss, I miss you know De Bruyne players like that coming to the stadium alive. But that's only worthwhile when your team can give them a go. You know. You
2: you, did you get Wi-Fi yesterday? That's always the things when you go to these we sort had, of we, grounds. Had
1: wi- we had Wi-Fi, but the power was a bit of an issue. So my, my laptop plug was plugged into an extension cable, which was plugged into an extension cable, <laughs> which was plugged into another extension cable, which was plugged into, like, one plug at the back of the press box. So, like, if, then, huh? so if, anyone, if anyone knocked, like, moved their knee and touched, like, one cable, everyone's power would, like, just go, out. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's different. I'd take that over going to Redding with a Redden, Redden the five Redden you'll never get a drop there <laughs> <laughs> no, middle of nowhere oh well. come on though it's going to be the worst they're, one that ultra's corner oh my word I've never it's embarrassing it. I've never isn't it, like it. it I, I am pretty hard on Redden but they're managed by Paul Clements. I think in Why this
2: you, oh, in this part of the country we just have no like sort of idea of what Redden is because they're just irrelevant. totally yeah they in a different sphere of influence when, when
0: we played away there last season we had a we had the the, the way guide on the on the site that Tom writes, um, and it actually went viral amongst Reading fans. because yeah, they loved it. They loved it. They were like, "That just nails us." I think he yeah. called them the most nondescript town in in the United Kingdom. It is, isn't it? it? It's
3: yeah. literally like a shithole just outside of London, which is a, the whole town's an industrial estate, and this the stadium might as well be the football metaphor for an industrial estate. There's <laughs> yeah. nothing to it. Right, I don't miss that. That's a that's a good way to end the. Podcast. Whereas League yes, One is. teams, they're all just like. Every
2: single one's different. They're all batshit crazy,
3: and it's amazing.
2: They are all unique. It's funny, actually. I was watching Match of the Day yesterday, and I saw Wolves Stadium, and I was like, "That is like a such a weird looking ground now." And mm. it sort of reminds of the League One grounds where like, they build things at different stages. You've got like, yeah. one modern stand, one stand that
1: was built in yeah. 1912. Bradford, Bradford's yeah, bizarre. Yeah. It's, like, it's like a yeah. League yeah. One it's to as Park. What I would say is it's great at the moment but if in like two years' time the League <laughs> One would be going oh, <laughs> titty yeah. in, you know. <laughs> going down to <laughs> Scotland. Yeah.
0: Just, I, I went to Carlisle in pre-season last year and they, they had a oh, burger God. van pitch side. That's Feed that into my veins, please. Mm. I, I love
2: it. The
3: worst thing was Lincoln. Carlisle's End where it's just mud with a bit of rail on the side. It's <laughs> yeah. Cool, Did anyone
2: watch Lincoln in the playoffs last year? And they had like the port uh, potty things and then they had the lorry that took it away just at the side of yeah. the pitch, just for sky, just to have <laughs> full view yeah, of the well, picture. L-
1: L- Lincoln's club shop yesterday was just a port cabin. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. It's just absolute quality.
3: <laughs> just wait until we go to Oxford when they don't they couldn't finish the ground, so they've only got three stands in a car park. Yeah, they do behind the goal, don't <laughs> yeah, they? It's literally
2: car a car park. It's, it's amazing <laughs> split loyalties for Stuart Donald isn't it
3: to his club nah man Beat these. he doesn't care about them jobbers anymore he's a massive lads fan now
2: yeah it probably is right anyway we should end this so uh, follow on Twitter follow Phil on Twitter as well give him some abuse um, give Gav abuse as well he deserves it you've got something to do uh, for your Sabutio. ah uh, people are always they've seen my Sabutio things
1: Made like... I saw your on one I haven't
2: seen I haven't seen <laughs> the Luton one yeah well, I did the Luton one and then some people are just like well you're probably sad and I'm like <laughs> Well, it just enhances my video. <laughs> I only do it for my video. <laughs> and honestly, it only takes 10 minutes to do. It's, like, it's not like it takes us forever. You don't
1: have to justify it. Yeah, I know, yeah. but I feel like I do have to... Like, you you let, spend, you're letting the win, You, man.
2: Just, you think? Yeah. I am letting the trolls win. <laughs> That's what it is. Don't like the spoo you. You be you. The hate hate hate. haters.
0: The haters are
3: going to hate on the spoo you. are like a FIFA Luddite now. If you just turn, cast away the PS4 games... Yeah. How are you selling to boot you up for three hours a night? That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do a season review by the end because I do both Home and Away goals. I come out have your commentary all the way through. Possibly. For oh, 90 minutes of that camp I need life a accent. As well. Ooh. <laughs> 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 right.
2: right, yeah, so follow all on Twitter. Uh, it's been a pleasure, Phil. Thanks for coming in. I'm sure. Thanks we'll for having me. Enjoyed Have it. you in later in the air when we're getting close to promotion. Gav, thanks for coming no in no as well. Problem. Last minute sub because we thought James wasn't coming. Yep. Yeah. And James, thanks for telling me that you weren't coming and then coming in the end.
1: <laughs> a difficult human. And and thank you for doing your Subutio videos. Thanks. Yes. that That is the one we wanted.
2: Subutio videos. I think they good. I like them. For every hater, we're going to block a hater. You think? Yes. Block all the haters. Yeah. I don't care. As long as they view the video and I don't really care. As long as they're engaging with it. Who cares? I get sponsorship on the Subutio videos. could get Subutio to sponsor it.
0: Someone called Sabutio Enthusiast followed us on Twitter after it.
2: Nice. So, the maybe that's me. That's yeah. part, you. That's five seconds. Sabutio Enthusiast. Are you yeah. gonna
1: start like tweeting yourself?
2: On well, I'm gonna start building the stadium like out of Lego. I think. Stay my. That, that is a bit. Oh, you could be a Sabutio Groundhopper. you could be. Just build loads of them. That'd take a lot of time, but every week I'm stuck for hours. All right, okay, i am get in this now before it stews into something ridiculous. So yeah, <laughs> follow her on Twitter. That's it. <laughs>